I've known about Barry Diller forever. I mean, he's been a rock star in the media business going back to the 1980s and maybe even before that. I mean, this is a guy who was a go-getter, um, someone who was a rising star when he was a young man, and that's simply because of one thing. Barry Diller just thinks differently slash better than most people. And, you know, he'll say things that you leave you scratching your head. You're just, wow, why didn't I think of that? He really has that power. Barry, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to be here. So let's talk about IAC, your company, okay. which oversees, controls, We've also got and Expedia, owns, though. Right, know, Expedia so. as well. 3.4% stake in Expedia that you guys have? No, no, no. Expedia is its own public company. Right. Uh, I'm the chairman of it. It was part of the original group of spinoffs. We've spun off 10 companies from IAC right. in the last 20 years or so and Expedia is one of them. But okay. it's one of the ones that I've uh, con uh, continued to have an interest in. So IAC controls, owns, has a majority stake in a slew of internet companies, including Angie's List, Investopedia, there's the dating companies, Match, Match Tinder. Tinder, and all manner of things. And, and a lot of other stuff. Yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, it's, it's interesting because people don't recognize perhaps how well the company's done it. I just checked over the past five years, the stock is up 160% versus the S&P, 44%. It's kind of a hidden success story. Why do you think that is, that people don't Well, because I think it it's, 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 kind of a, it's a rare bird in that it's a, actually a conglomerate of companies. So it's very easy, for instance, Expedia, which is, stands on its own, has a brand name. Expedia, the public company, is only about travel, whereas IAC is in all sorts of sectors. So I think that's partly why. And also, we've, never, we've really never chosen, we've not uh, uh, thought about institutionalizing the name IAC. It doesn't, it's a trade name for us. It's a, it has been, it's not really functions as a holding company. Again, it's its concept, which is rare, is it develops companies, and then when, it's, when they're ready to be independent, it spins them out into being their own independent public company. So that's its kind of generating philosophy. And that doesn't, anyway, it is what it is. I mean, there's no peer group, and a lot we of don't times gotta, on no, Wall no, Street, we, we, they talk about a peer group. We, Does that hurt the valuation or how it's, it's done? It hasn't seemed to. How, how much has it grown over the years? You were talking well, about Well, okay, that. if you took uh, its original market cap, original company was called Silver King, and that was 200 million market cap. And if you total it up today, it's, I think, north of 57 billion. So it's over 22 years, I think. So it's certainly uh, grown in value, uh, and it actually has outpaced most things. I was very happy one day, a couple of years ago, when uh, we our cumulative 22 years, I guess it was 21 years then, was better than Berkshire Hathaway's return. No, oh, I have to tell Mr. Buffett about uh, that. Yeah, I well, did. maybe we are right now, or you already <laughs> have. So is that gratifying to you? Is that validation? I mean, you left the entertainment business sort of before the internet was cool in many respects. Well, it was really at the very beginning of the internet. It was in really 92. 
92-93 and uh, I, I had been in the media entertainment business all my life and I discovered kind of interactivity at a stage just before the internet really in 95 started to be used by so to, sp so to speak normal folk. So I got attuned to it to the fingertips to a degree at a very early stage. Why did you know that was the thing to do? I didn't. I was curious. I'd gone to QVC, right. which was the first part of this uh, after I left Fox, and I'd seen this primitive convergence. And I saw something that, that really surprised me, which was a screen. All I knew from screens is to tell stories. I thought that's what screens did. You told stories on screens. Here I was seeing screens being interactive and putting up products and having people with their television sets, seeing them, and then with phones at the time, calling in and ordering them. And I was fascinated by screens being used for something other than telling stories. That curiosity was what led me to the Internet. Going back to IAC and some of your properties, uh, Daily Beast is another one. Yes. And those properties, the valuation of some of those Internet companies, maybe particularly digital media companies, seems to have peaked last year and the blooms off the rose a little bit. There are other things going well, on in that because business, it's, too. It's just because, look, publishing is very difficult because publishing historically has been primarily based upon, upon advertising. And when advertising, digital advertising came in, it really destroyed the base of all, so to speak, print media. And all, all media that was based upon advertising other than television advertising was in peril. And it's been slow for that entire world to readjust itself. And, uh, and digital publishing is enormously difficult because there's just so much inventory that there's no pricing power. So is there any hope for that business? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's, if you have a product that people see, uh, then there's always hope. But you're seeing now subscriptions really take up the slack, so to speak, in digital advertising. And so I think as most print or digital publishing companies, have, have kind of moved to a hybrid of subscriptions and advertising. And I think that's probably the future hope. I think you'll end up, I've always thought that once the payment systems get worked out, and they're still nascent, the ability to actually see an article that you like or something that you want and be able to buy it for a quarter of a cent or three cents or whatever is the clearing price for it, is still, but it will come. Going back to uh, earlier in your life, you dropped out of UCLA. Would you recommend, and it seems like so many successful, famous people do that. Um, is, is that something that you recommend, or is that something I don't that recommend, no. I mean, look, I think in many respects I suffer from not having, not having a great education. However, for me, I was, I, I was interested in media and entertainment. And there was no, there's no school, really no school for that. And so I had no, there was no purpose, like directed purpose. I was interested in something else. And, 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 and I wanted to begin. So for people who want to do that, but if, look, 
if you need to learn X, Y, and Z in order to do what you want to do, most likely you're going to find that in a university system. If you don't, and you're just going for a general education, while I think that's a nice luxury, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's going to hurt you. But you have to have an ambition, a vision, and just confidence. Not, just, not, no, I didn't have any confidence, for sure. Mm. And I certainly didn't have any vision. I had an interest and a curiosity, which was I really liked the entertainment business since I was like six years old. A kid growing up in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Right. And then you went to William Morris and worked in the mailroom. I did, I did. Right. At ABC, you said that my curiosity is only about things that don't have a record and that pertains maybe to doing the miniseries there that people didn't think were going to succeed. But did, did everything you do succeed? And did you fail my, or did you learn from failure? my entire life. Yeah. <laughs> in business. In business, actually, I'm afraid to say, knock on some wood somewhere, yes. I mean, I've had the thing projects. All, most things I've succeeded. Had projects right. that failed. Right. I mean, you can't be in the entertainment business and not make a bad movie or bad television show or bad whatever. But uh, in terms of actually succeeding at career, right? Yeah. Well, let's turn that on its head because I've you know lucky. you hear, oh, I learned so much from my failures. It's become sort of a trope, right? And I'm sure you did. But what did you learn from your successes? Let's ask that. The only thing I learned, actually, was uh, to forget them almost immediately. Forget and your successes. Absolutely. I mean, I, 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 I always thought, we, when I, uh, I mean, at ABC, we had a huge success with the movie of the week and uh, the novels for television, the miniseries, which had not really been done before. And that was wonderful. And then I go to Paramount in the movie business. And for the first couple of years, it was really hard to figure out what movies to do, what kind of organization to make this change to, 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 to kind of a modern movie company. And it took us a couple of years, and then we went eight straight years as number one in the movie business. And about the second year, I remember thinking, I see the people around me getting really arrogant. And, and I learned how awful a poison arrogance is. And so one of the ways you guard against arrogance is to forget success. So I just right. always tried to brush it clean, sometimes successfully. So let's talk about um, the entertainment world, which is a world that you left, but you're still connected and you still follow yeah, we it. We still make movies. Right, right. We make a few movies a year. Right, college humor and, you no, know. No, no, no. Uh, Lady Bird right. was a movie of ours. How did you produce that last then? Year. Pardon me? How was Lady Bird connected to IAC then? It was a co-production between IAC, Scott Rudin, and A24. So we're still yeah. in a very small way. I mean, it's not material. But I think it's healthy for both me and for some of my colleagues to have some interests in media. That was a fun movie, by the way. It was a good it. movie. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but let's talk about the media companies because the sure. world has changed so much. Yes. And, and I'd love to, if we could, Barry, go through them and maybe if you could give us your take on each one of them. Um, <laughs> let's, in no particular order, let's start with Comcast and NBC because NBC's just said they're going to be doing yep. a streaming business. So what's your take on, on that situation then? Well, look, I think they've been probably most prudent. Uh, they, they are a very successful cable company. They're very successful in terms of innovation with Xfinity. 
Uh, they're an extremely well-managed company. And then they have all of these entertainment media assets. And rather than plunge into investing billions of dollars chasing the Netflix, I think they've been very procedural about it. And I think that's probably, I think, not probably, I think it's wise. Okay, what about... And they're also offering an interesting... And the streaming makes the sense? Stream, well, well, the streaming that they're doing, which is essentially, I mean, it's, it, it's free advertising supported. All, all the other OTT streaming services, Hulu is partly advertising, but really a subscription, are subscription driven. They're going to do a semi-ish hybrid. I think that's interesting. Anyway. Good. Let's talk about um, CBS and Viacom and put them together because it seems like they're going to be reunited. What's your take on those two companies and businesses? It's not fair for me to really say anything about other companies. I guess the only thing I'd well, say about CBS Viacom is that it's got a very hard road ahead of it just because in the broadcast side, CBS does very well, but there's not that, can't be that much growth on that side of it. And on the Viacom side, a bit they're sitting on ice on those cable, on those cable programming companies because there's no question that cable program pricing has lost its power if you're a programmer. So it's difficult, but uh, they've got lots of assets and who knows. Right person could turn that whole situation around. Yeah. What about um, your old boss, Fox and Rupert Murdoch? Yes. And, and what, what made him or what has made him so successful and what's your situation? Rupert, your Rupert seems is like probably he's exiting the, the stage. Rupert is the, he's probably in my people I've known, he is the most potent, I wouldn't even call him an entrepreneur, originator in media. I mean, this is somebody who literally put his company up for risk constant times. The first time he put it up for risk was to build Sky. Sky is a huge asset now in the hands of Comcast. He started, uh, he, he allowed me to start right. Fox Broadcasting based upon a back-of-the-envelope equation that I said I thought it was interesting, and two weeks later we bought Metro Media for a billion, one hundred million dollars, which News Corp didn't really have. And as he said, we're betting the company. I said, wow, that's impressive. Then he comes along and starts Fox News. I'm hardly a fan of Fox News, but CNN, everybody said at the time of Fox News, hopeless. Who needs another cable network? And Rupert Murdoch put up half a billion dollars on a role that he could create an alternative uh, news service. So there's nobody, there's nobody as accomplished a smart gambler, up-the-stakes gambler, than Rupert Murdoch. And I think he came to a point on the broadcast side, sorry, on the entertainment side where he said he didn't have enough assets to compete. But he's still got 20th, I don't know, I guess they're calling it 21st Century Fox still, uh, plus News Corp. Nothing entrepreneurial or gutsy or uh, in terms of just pure willpower would surprise me about what he does next. Even though he's mm -hmm. hardly a child. Right. He's still got one of the great brains and one of the great spirits. Disney is also in a very powerful position these days. 
What about their roadmap going forward and Bob Iger? Well, it's the most, you know, Mr. Iger has, in, and he's done this multiple times, beginning with Pixar, which most people thought, why are you buying Pixar? Which turned out after he bought Pixar, Marvel, Lucas, etc., to be a great strategy. Disney has led the film business for years now because of that strategy and leadership. And he's really decided that he wants to go direct to the consumer. And so he's lining up that company and he's made a lot of bets to go direct, to, to have a, rather than an indirect relationship like Netflix, to go direct to the consumer. It's a huge, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a huge endeavor, and huge costs. And I think there's, there's nothing other than to admire that he has so completely said, here are the stakes I'm putting up on the table, and this is how I'm going to compete. And so it's going to be fascinating to watch. We've mentioned Netflix a few times here, and I understand you're a fan. They're spending so much money on content, and you hear about peak content, and they're overdoing it. No, you still not. like them? Yeah, for sure. Yes. That strategy is going to work? Yes. It already is. It has worked. Yeah. Now, they're going to have more competition than they had, certainly in the future. But once you've built up to uh, 200 million or so subscribers, it's very hard for anybody to come close. And eventually, the dollars will rationalize. And, and I think their cash flow will be huge. I they mean, raise prices recently. They, they, yeah. they can continue to raise prices. Are we in a new golden era of TV, and do you miss it? <laughs> Um, no, I don't really. Look, I spent 25 years kind of running movie and television companies. And so it's, it doesn't have any really curiosity other than individual projects, which I'm still kind of interested in. But uh, so I, I, don't, I don't really miss it. And I also think that, uh, and I've thought this for a long time, I thought television is a much more creative media than movies for a whole lot of reasons. And, and uh even though, yes, more things are being produced now than are worthy of being produced because the need, or at least the production impetus for it, is so great. But the truth is, is while there's more than you need and more than is really good, there's still an enormous amount of quality on television. I mean, consistent quality, far greater than movies by a zillion miles. You mentioned some projects. What are they? What do you mean in terms of? For yourself. Well, we're doing for HBO an eight-hour documentary with Bennett Miller, uh, who uh, uh, was a wonderful director, Moneyball, uh, etc. And it's about what are the consequences of uh, artificial intelligence in terms of humankind. And it's an extraordinary project. I think it will be on HBO probably within a year. And I think will be a great document of our times. Let me ask you about um, the tech giants, the Facebooks and the Googles of the world. Do they concern you, Barry? In what way? Too much market power, um, us not understanding the implications for society. Well, I think, what, I think we've all over, wildly overreacted to Facebook. Certainly they made mistakes, but the truth is that 
they are hardly an evil force. They're certainly, they want to make money in terms of advertising, and they've done a phenomenal job at it. But they are a platform, and platforms can be misused as well as used. Yes, they should have, could have, whatever, but they were growing so fast, I don't, I, I mean, other than, okay, a couple of years of bumps and grinds, but they're really a great company. I do think that once you get into monopoly positions, uh, where Google really does have a monopoly position in search, I think that there have to be guideposts, regulations, that protect just against the natural monopoly. I don't think that uh, they should be stopped in doing business, or I don't think they should be chopped up or anything like that. But I do think once you've gotten to such market power, I think, yeah, you've got to have regulation that, that, that restrains the natural tendencies of monopoly. Let me ask you about dating. You yes. are the dominant, you're the dating king, Barry. Oh, God right? forbid. Um, but your companies have, you know, a, a huge we have position. have a lot of products, right? yes. Match, Tinder, yes, OkCupid, yes, yes. and there's other brands. Yeah. What's, what is that business going to look like in five years? It keeps innovating, you know. I mean, Tinder was an innovation, complete, house-grown, uh, inside one of our uh, companies. And... Like anything, you have to keep, if you don't believe that uh, there's something to do every day to make your product better or differentiated, somebody else will. So it is a process of innovation. The basic nature of it, which is connecting people, has been going on for, shall we say, quite a long time, whether it's been managed by parents or by Priests States or, or yeah. by churches or whatever, yeah. mm -hmm. but uh, the evolution of it, uh, and it has been evolutionized, so to speak, wonderful new word, <laughs> um, certainly by, uh, by Match.com originally uh, and a few others, it's going to continue to evolve as the technology evolves, for sure. Let me ask you a little bit about politics. Oh. Shift gears. I can see your face. Um, let's say uh, that Donald Trump calls you up on the phone and says, Barry, you've got to help me out here. I've, there's no I've, chance. Of the, I, I'm sure there's a longer list than me. But well, what advice would you, I mean, what's, what advice uh, quit, would you give him? Resign. Go home. Leave us alone, please. Just, just, just let this period end. It was an accident uh, of all sorts of forces in 20 years, God, hope sooner than 20 years, 10 years, eight years, it will be forgotten. It should be a great history lesson. You talk about learn from your failures. This country should learn from the extraordinary mistake it made in electing him president. So looking forward, so I would just tell him to go home. Go home. Um, to some possible candidates on the Democratic um, side, are there any that you think should run? Are you supporting Well, I any? think lots of them. No, I'm going to wait. Look, this is going to be... Uh, are you concerned there are too many? Maybe. maybe no, because I think that what will happen, I think that stage, you know, it had 17 Republicans in 16. 
I think that stage is going to have more than that to begin with. That winnowing process, I think, is really healthy. And I think there are enough really decent and good people that the Democrats will find a candidate. And look, it may be that the Republicans will have a candidate too, other than the current one or the, the uh, in, God forbid, word incumbent. Let me ask you about your park in the Hudson River. Yes. $250 million that I wish. you and your wife have put in. No? <laughs> it's going to be more than that. More than that. Oh, I understand. Okay. How's that going? It looks Great. magical. You can see the picture there. That yeah, yeah. Well, it's going up. Mm -hmm. We're driving piles into the Hudson River and putting these beautiful tulips. It's the artist rendering there. You can see That's I, a rendering of, right. uh, of, of the finished. But now it's, we're in construction. We're in heavy construction. We'll be for the next two or three years. And then in 20 or 21, probably the spring of 21, people will come and visit it. And I hope they'll be happy. I'm, I'm glad, as a New Yorker, I'm glad that it's, you're able it, to do that. It's, um, it's very ambitious. I mean, I, it's much, God knows, like many things that I get involved with. It started as a little idea, and it just, its ambition just overrode it. But it's all for the benefit of people who live in New York and who come and visit New York. And then if it's successful, you'll forget it. Oh, God. Maybe not. This one I don't think I'll forget. Right. <laughs> right. Um, let's talk about cars, Barry, because I remember one time, one early weekend morning, I was driving across Central Park. I took a right on Fifth Avenue, and I pulled up next to you in a cream-colored convertible, and we exchanged pleasantries. Yes. And uh, I don't know what car that was. A beautiful, beautiful car. Yeah. And then I, I understand you also have a Tesla, though. I, yes. And are you I, a Tesla fan? I am mad for Tesla. I have two of them. And... For anybody who has not driven one, if there's anything in the joy of driving for you, of which a lot of people really enjoy that, there's nothing like being in a Tesla and getting a green light and accelerating. It's, it's a thrill. And it's a beaut it, is, it is the most beautifully designed thing, car, I've ever been in. It's magic. Is the company going to succeed? Well, you know, I'm, I'm so product-based in the way I think about things that, uh, yeah, I think it will. Now, it, without any history, this is the most amazing thing, to build a car of that sophistication with no history in that industry is, is a kind of genius. Have so, you met Elon Musk? Yes, yes, yes. And you've obviously told him that uh, you're a fan? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think he knows it. I just think if product, and I always do believe product is the answer, meaning good product as against mediocre product, they'll survive and thrive. Are you concerned, Barry, about our society right now? We talked about the politics a little bit, but the divisiveness and also the income and wealth gap. I mean, there are a number of real systemic problems, potentially. There are real issues. Uh, and, uh, and I do think that there's no way to be involved in political life unless you are, you're going to try, however you can, to revive middle class is hardly dead, but to pay much, much greater attention to the very, very broad outreaches of the middle uh, 
and I think not enough attention has been paid to that, uh, and not enough you know, hope and possibilities for people who are just entering or having difficulty in the workforce. Unemployment is not the issue now, but the issue is really, and I, I was very much in favor of minimum wage, uh, very much in favor of, I don't believe any company should employ anyone at a level less than being able to support let's say, a family of four. So I think there's enormous work to be done, and I think it's unfortunate that we've spent the last couple of years, the last really two years, uh, being so distracted from one of probably the most important issue, which is the people, does the general, general mass, mass public believe that their future is better than their past? And final question, Barry, how do you want to use your influence on the world? I don't think I have very much influence on the world. All I can do is, uh, in terms of controlling, presiding, so to speak, over a couple of companies that have about 30,000 employees, is offer opportunity. First of all, run a company that's based on fairness. Uh, and doing whatever we do to make our products better. That's about, I mean, if I can contribute at all, that's probably the only way I can contribute other than what our family does in terms of charitable uh, and uh, philanthropy. Barry Diller is just wired differently from the rest of us. While we see something that's impossible or something that doesn't fit, he'll turn the cube around to fit it into the equation or take it out and put it in a new place. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, almost geometrically here with him, but it's like that. I've seen problems that no one else could solve in the media business, and he just asked these questions. Why don't we do this? And bingo, that was the answer. He does like to move things around. Sometimes he drives people crazy with the way that he likes to keep moving and keep changing things. But it's always for the same end, which is to grow things, to be creative, and to start something new. Thanks for listening to Influencers. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Yahoo Finance on Twitter, at Yahoo Finance and at Surwork.